Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. What happens when what God calls us to do doesn't jive with others in the world? This week we begin a new series called Good Trouble, following the Acts of the Apostles. We will discover that the criteria for disobedience to worldly authorities to be in the very ways Jesus lived. We're going to start a brand new series today called Good Trouble. And this series is going to follow the the acts of those who followed Jesus within Scripture after he raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. We will be following some stories in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And you will find that over the next few weeks, there is this, these stories are inspiring, but they bring about some trouble in their world. Good trouble. And as we look at this, we will recognize that they are only doing what Jesus did himself in life, in death, and in his own resurrection. And so we will be, we will be looking at some of these stories about how they embodied Jesus, followed in his footsteps, as they committed good trouble in the world. Now, you might think to yourself, did Jesus really bring trouble into the world? Well, yeah. The reason why Jesus died on the cross in the first place was because the authorities and people did not like how not only his teachings, but his actions really brought about good in such a way that it made all of the powers and all of the authorities and all the people who are benefiting from bad, wrongs, sin, look bad. One of the reasons why Jesus died was because, quite frankly, when you bring healing to people, when you subvert institutions that have shown themselves to be, quite frankly, corrupt or really about themselves or gaining more power, you get you get into trouble with those people. You get in trouble with those authorities. You get in trouble with those institutions. And so the disciples, now called apostles, as they begin to worship Jesus after Jesus leaves, does exactly what Jesus does. They bring about healing. They keep on teaching the same thing that he teaches. They themselves learn and bring about new realities into this world that quite frankly benefits from wronging each other, sin and death. And so, as they obey Jesus, they bring about good trouble. It's good for every single human, but it's trouble because authorities don't like it. And so today, we're going to start with something very, very basic. We're going to start with one of the very first moments that the apostles disobeyed authorities. Now, before I introduce this, you might be wondering, what is the word apostle? Those who followed Jesus intimately in his ministry were called disciples. Disciples means to follow. In Acts, the book that we are going to be in for the next few weeks, they began to be called apostles. Apostles 
were a new title for those who began the work of the church without Jesus there. They are basically starters of sorts, starters of what God is doing in the world with the Spirit enabling them to do so. And so these apostles began doing what Jesus did. They began sharing that Jesus, who had died on a cross, rose from the dead. Nobody had done that before. And so that means that there's some good news. But not only that, they began to heal others. They began to provide and give to others who were often left behind by structures and institutions and governments and authorities. And so they actually one day were preaching on one side of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, particularly Solomon's porch. I share that with you not to sound like I know everything, just simply for you. If you ever wondered what Solomon's porch is, go and find out about it. Go look at it in scripture. Go look at it in Wikipedia. But it was on one particular side of the temple. They were Jewish, so they were preaching at the Jewish temple, sharing that Jesus was alive. And what you find out, too, is that they are healing people. People who were lame are walking, and people who were blind can see. People who had skin diseases were made clean. You're talking about some of the very same things that Jesus did in his life. And guess what? That brings a following. People will start following the apostles and the message that they have rather than necessarily going into the temple and doing what the high priests were wanting them to do. Sanhedrin, the high priests, aren't happy with this. So they put him in prison. And the apostles do not resist. I think that's very important to recognize. They just say, okay, yeah, we'll go. So they go into prison. And this is detailed in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 26. I encourage you to read this yourself afterwards, just to sort of get a full glimpse of this entire story. But essentially, as they go into prison that night, an angel of the Lord appears to them and breaks them out. And what happens next is actually quite humorous, and I'll allow you to read it and find the humor. But immediately after being sprung out of prison, they go straight back to where they were, and they begin saying the same things and teaching the same things. Jesus Christ is risen. He is the Messiah. There is new things. He is Lord. All these great things. Well, they find out, the Sanhedrin, the authorities, the high priests, find out that they're back there again. So they go back to them. This time, without arresting them first, they instead have this interaction. And that is the interaction that we are going to read together today. Acts chapter 5, beginning with verse 27. The apostles were brought before the council where the high priest confronted them. In no uncertain terms, we demanded that you not teach in this name, Jesus. And look at you, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to hold us responsible for this man's death. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than humans. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. 
God has exalted Jesus to his right side as leader and savior so that he could enable Israel to change its heart and life and to find forgiveness for sins. We are witnesses to such things, as is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The Sanhedrin and these high priests and these authorities are angry. They're angry. One, they just put them in prison and they sprung out. How do they spring out? All these different kinds of things. But two, the reason that they state is quite frank. We told you not to do this. You're disobeying us. How dare you? Now, there is a third reason that's not stated. We'll get to that here in a second. But the main reason why they say, hey, what are you doing? We demanded you not to do this. Well, in the world of Judaism, as high priests, they were the ones tasked with sharing God's message to his people. The apostles who are Jews should be listening to the high priests whenever they say, stop doing this. That's why. That's why they're so upset. The stated reason is, well, we told you not to. Respect our authority. And yet, Peter and the apostles don't. Peter and the apostles say very, very, very clearly, we must obey God rather than humans. They are obeying the command that Jesus gave to them before he left. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's called the Great Commission. It's simple. It means that those who follow Jesus aren't just to follow Jesus in such a way that it's a personal decision. Rather, they live in the public sphere showing and sharing and inviting others to come and follow the way of Jesus just like they are. Every single person who believes in Jesus is to be doing this. And we talked about this a little bit last week with Pastor James. Obeying God means to share that Jesus is Lord. Jesus has risen from the grave, and his ways of teaching are indeed the ways we are to live. So they're obeying Jesus. They're not obeying the Sanhedrin who say, stop teaching this. This, friends, is one of the first moments one of the first conflicts between the early church and the authorities after Jesus resurrected and ascended. This is one of the first instances that the church, the apostles, partake in what we all often know as civil disobedience. Because they were called to do something that authorities told them not to do. Disobedience 
is a common thing that you and I are used to, right? You can probably remember when you were a kid questioning the rules that your parents put into place and saying, ah, I don't want to listen to them, and you disobeyed it, right? If you've been on the other side of it, if you ever tried to raise kids yourselves, you know that you can put boundaries in front of them to help them make the best choices possible, and they can still disobey you, right? We're currently in the toddler stage, and we have a two-year-old that legitimately will say no to every single thing that you say. You want to go do this? No. Please don't do this. No. The funny thing is that it, as a toddler, it gets even ridiculous. I think she's saying no just to say no to see if we do anything. Are you happy? No. Are you sad? No. Are you angry? No. What are you? No. <laughs> it's this just willingness to just ah, not cooperate. Disobedience is a very common thing in our world that you and I are very much We've, we've very much been a part of. But I think the piece of this is, is that this is a different kind of disobedience that we might begin to equate certain things that we have seen in our own world lately. When we hear civil disobedience, that word, we think of this concept of saying to an authority, yeah, I know you say that I should do this, but I'm going to say no. Respecting, not bringing about violence, not bringing about destruction or anything like that, just saying, no, not doing it. And so we use the word civil disobedience in this instant because that's exactly what the apostles do. They say, no, we're not going to do this. They never bring about violent revolution. They never bring about destruction of property. They never do these kinds of things that sometimes people just who want to disobey, take advantage of an instance of civil disobedience. Absolutely. Violent rebellion is not within the way of the Christian life. Period. We're talking about voicing dissent in a respectful manner. But even civil disobedience can go along lines of division and selfishness. And I think today our task is to understand that the church is called to a certain kind of civil disobedience. And it has very, very clear lines of how that is to be taken, how that is to be lived out completely. Because let's really be honest. There can be civil disobedience that is not what God wants us to do. Let's be very clear about that. Civil disobedience that God wants us to do is that good trouble. It brings a universal good news to every person. It doesn't take a side of a power that currently exists. Instead, it brings about the best thing for every single human, and the authorities are just mad about it. So, how can civil disobedience be good trouble? How can civil disobedience 
be from God? How can you and I know as followers of Jesus if we are doing civil disobedience in his name and not in the name of our own desires or selfish ways? And it comes into the conversation that the apostles have with the Sanhedrin. In verses 30, 31, and 32, they use some very, very particular words. They say, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. It's very important to recognize that Peter and the apostles were all Jews, and so were the high priest and the Sanhedrin. So there is this, well, quite frankly, level playing field saying, hey, the same gods, the same God that you and I worship is the one who did this. So there's an invitation in here to see Jesus for who he is. They also said this, God has exalted Jesus to his right side as leader and savior so that he could enable Israel to change its heart and life. When they say Israel, they're not thinking that Sanhedrin and high priests and everybody else is Israel and they are not. They are a part of Israel too. By saying these words, they are basically saying Jesus came for you and for us too. He was raised from the grave even if you wanted him dead in the first place. And this is where we begin to get a picture of what civil disobedience in the name of God looks like. It is disobedience that invites others to Jesus. There's one other piece to it that we need to really, really keep in mind, too. They told them not to teach in the name. They're also telling them not to heal. Because that was the other thing that was happening on Solomon's porch. Hey, there's healing happening. People are coming to know Jesus for who he is. There are physical healings. There's emotional healings. There's spiritual healings. There's all of these things happening. And there's healing. And they're telling them not to do that either. The disobedience comes to teach and to bring healing into the world. And so civil disobedience of God not only invites others to Jesus, but also brings healing in this world. Now, the biggest difficulty in this entire interaction is, quite frankly, the fact that Peter and the apostles are willing to say the hard thing up front. Y'all were a part of killing Jesus. Even as the invitation is extended to them, hey, Jesus died and raised for Israel, for you, and for me, they're willing to have the conversation of saying, you know, we saw y'all at the hearing that sentenced Jesus to death. We saw who was saying, kill him, crucify him. And they bring it right up. And you can tell by the words of the Sanhedrin that they are very much uncomfortable with this. Particularly in verse 28. You're determined to hold us responsible for this man's death. Well, were you a part of the crowd? 
Were you a part of the hearings? See, for me, naturally, that's what I would have done in this interaction. I am so amazed that Peter and the apostles did not, like, y'all were there, we saw you. They could have turned it into a trial right there, but they don't. They don't. They just simply say what it is. And the issue that they have is, quite frankly, they don't want to admit the wrongs that they have done. They're not willing to humble themselves and to come clean. They have a number of reasons for that. It's unpopular, whatever. And this comes back to the unstated reason why they're upset that they're teaching. They're upset, quite frankly, because they're, the truth is coming to light, and they don't like that. Let me be very clear. Confessing what we have done wrong to God or to somebody else is an essential piece of the Christian life. And it's not just the start of the Christian life. It's also a continuing piece of the Christian life. And so without going too far into right field, let me share something very, very clear with you. If an institution, if a person, if a church, or whatever else, authority, says they follow Jesus but are never wrong, be very weary of that. Be very weary of that. Because the starting point of turning back to God is saying, yeah, I did something wrong. Be very weary of that. Because, friends, we receive the life from Jesus Christ. We receive forgiveness. We receive redemption, not by pushing away or explaining away our actions or our intents, finding excuses or saying, well, I didn't know this back then. It's just saying I did wrong and confessing it and be willing to have it open And the beautiful thing is, is that Jesus and the church is designed to say, yeah, I know. I've done it too. Not Jesus, but the church. And we're forgiven. And we don't hold that against you. And so I wanted to say, for those of you who might be watching this and aren't a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus wants to give you this life, and it starts just simply by saying, yeah, I haven't done life right. I've done wrong. And I encourage you in this moment to give those things up and admit it to God. And I'm telling you that he will give you a new life, free from guilt and shame, and rather a brand new way of living. That's the good news for all people. Because every single one of us have fallen short. But for those of us who have followed Jesus for a long time, and maybe even for those of you who might have just given your sins, confessed to God, over to God, we need to know the rules of engagement when it comes to living like Jesus and when it comes into conflict with the authorities. And that's the other piece of this message. We are called to live like Jesus. And living like Jesus is not the way 
a lot of the way the world works. And so there's conflict. So there will be moments that we will disobey authorities, religious or governmental, even other authorities in the world. And for us to be doing civil disobedience actually in the name of Jesus, for us to be spelling good trouble, it has to be invitational. Inviting others into this life with Jesus to embrace the good news of his resurrection. Robert Wall says it this way, civil disobedience must not serve political, but rather missionary ends. Friends, Jesus has given us a life that is free to live in love even when authorities or other people say otherwise. So civil disobedience looks like love, looks like peacemaking, looks like joy giving, looks like offering hope, looks like Jesus. Which means that if a government says, hey, you, my citizen, you need to come with me and go and kill this person. It means that as a disciple of Jesus, we say no. No. It means that when a government says that this kind of killing is actually legal, we say no. Jesus disarmed us by giving himself. Jesus didn't go about in violent revolt. He came through offering love and peace and forgiveness. It means that when a, the system around us says, hey, take what you can. Get as much as you can. Even if it means others not getting as much. We as followers of Jesus say no. He has taught us to give to others. That is the way that we are to live. It's not about me getting everything that I ever wanted. It's about giving to others so that those in need would not have needs anymore. It means that if authorities were to tell us to stop worshiping God, we would say no. Not in a mean or revolting way, but in love. It means that when red tape of our world stops us from saying, I need to help that person, we say, no, I'm going to bring help and healing in this situation. That's what Jesus did, and it's what his followers are called to do, friends. This is the kind of civil disobedience that we are called to live. It invites others to Jesus, and it brings about healing in this world. There will be things that disciples of Jesus Christ will do that will rub against authorities that be. When we are following Jesus in those actions and we get into trouble, it will be good trouble. I'm very thankful for the prayer journal that we've started this past week. And in that prayer journal, there was a quote attributed to a man who was arrested for, who advocated for those who were experiencing injustice. Nelson Mandela was put in prison 
by his own government for what he, they called sabotage. He was released from prison. And upon being released from prison, he said these words. As I stand before the door of my freedom, I realize that if I do not leave my pain, anger, and bitterness behind me, I will still be in prison. And I think the beauty of that quote is it, it, it injects the posture of who these apostles were in this moment and the posture that we are to have as followers of Christ. If they were bitter or angry or still in pain, whenever the Sanhedrin said, hey, stop doing this, they said, why? You're the ones who killed Jesus. Let's go to trial right now. They don't do that. They invite them into a life with Jesus Christ. And that is how we are to live. Not from a posture of anger or bitterness, condescension or judgment of people around us who have not chosen to follow Jesus, but rather to live lives of love and peacemaking in this world and be willing to do that even when others say not to. And I'll be honest, there have been times that people in the church have participated in civil disobedience in ways not of God. We have made mistakes before. But it's essential that we understand what it means to obey Jesus in the world that we live in. And it will cause conflict, but it means being invitational and it means being healing in our conduct. So friends, may we, as people who follow Jesus, be people who are humble, who invite others to Jesus, and when the world doesn't want us to do it, may we respond with love, with peace, with hope, and with joy. May we not give into the ways that we know to respond, but may we respond in the way that Jesus responded. Friends, we are called to obey the authority of God that will go against the worldly authorities. But that means that we are free, not to live as we want, but to live in love, the way that Jesus loved. And when we do this, we will bring about good trouble in this world. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. You can also join us on Facebook Live. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org.